Good evening and welcome back to a special edition, a Thanksgiving edition of Beyond the Backstage Pass. I'm your host, Vince Edwards from Sound Image Productions. You may also know me from a couple closed Facebook groups we have for roadies called Death by Loadout and the Backstage Pass. To my right is my good friend and co-host, Kyle Thomas. How you doing, brother? Not too bad. Another day, another dog biscuit. Man, they just keep handing out those dog biscuits because you're that good. Oh, thank it's you. Just because you're that good. How you been? You look all bright and exuberant today. Oh, man. You know, I've got finally got some rest after our, our we were going pretty hard at it for a few weeks there straight, trying to pull together the uh, benefit, you the sure Big were. Love Benefit concert. And uh, now it's an editing process right now. So um, a lot of different heads, Mikey, Gregory, Gregory Price, Mike Brown, myself, and some others, of course, Rick Allen and Lauren Monroe are oh. trying to cut it together. So it, it, it's really, it's special. And it it's was something. nice to see your wife. Yes, my wife came in and saw the show. And, you know, she's always a treat. She brings a little bit of light with her. And... Uh, and you know I love her like crazy. So and she enjoyed her time and mentioned in particular that it was nice seeing you. Oh yeah. And so it's yeah. always a pleasure. She's a treat. She's a sweet, sweet woman, and I'm a lucky, lucky man. What's going on in your world, brother? Man, I am just ecstatic about uh, having Thanksgiving come up. I just wanted to say I'm very grateful to be a part of this family, and Sound Image has been very nice to me. And I, I just wanted to say I'm very appreciative of you and your brother George. Um, I don't know where I'd be. If uh, I was doing jail. something else, probably jail. Jail. No. But but that's that's <laughs> but, uh, a whole other subject. But it's a uh, not. It's great to uh, be staying active and staying busy doing what I love. So I appreciate you guys. I couldn't uh, listen, man. You've earned every anything that you get from here from us. It's through hard work. It's through kindness, professionalism, being uh, an incredible employee, a good friend. You've been you know really good for the show. I enjoy doing this a great deal with you. I am uh, equally grateful for having you. And, uh, you know, I, I struggle with mushy and being too sentimental, but I guess it's that day where we, we talk about these types of things. Happy Thanksgiving, dude. Oh, baby. I hope you have a good eat tonight. <laughs> and uh, that all of our friends out there in TV land are also having a nice time with their people and, uh, you know, that everything's going well for them. We appreciate them tuning in and that uh, we're going to, we're going to give them a little bit of a show. Uh, you know, as it talks about being grateful, we have a special treat tonight. Uh, a gentleman on, on the show, a good friend of yours, a friend of the shop, a friend of the house, um, works with uh, Sound Image Southern California, works wherever they'll have him because he's just that good. Everybody's trying to take him and collect him up. He's, um, he's done everything from running Prairie Sounds, uh, Prairie Sun Studios, which is a remarkable place. Uh, I've had the the luxury of doing a couple albums up there. He's worked with some really large acts like the Baby, Cypress Hill, Wu Tang Clan, Arrested Development, E40, um, tons of Emerald Cups. He's a festival guy. He's the guy. If you need somebody to come in and kick ass, you call up the one and only Travis Strain. Travis, how are you doing, my brother? Good. How you guys doing? Oh man, Good, it's man. Thanksgiving. We're we got uh, you on the show. We're happy. We're thankful. Thank you for coming on. How you been treating yeah. yourself? How's life been treating you? It's been good. I mean, crazy year, as we all know, but, you know, still a lot to be grateful for. But hanging in there, trying to uh, keep what work I can coming in the door. But, you know, could be worse. <laughs> could be worse. Let's, let's, you know, we're big on the origin story around here. And, and you have a, your, your origin story is, is goes along a kind of a, a, a familiar path. I know you started out, maybe it's not fair to say started out but I know you definitely cut your, your teeth a little bit in the church uh front of house right in front of house at uh, a church talk to us about that yeah um I had church my parents went to and 
you know, I'd played music since I was a kid, and the thing that got me sort of into sound and into that gig was I had had a recording experience that was just awful, and I was like, okay, I can probably figure out this engineering thing, and that led to, like, looking into more of that, and there was an opening at the church, and the guy was like, yeah, I can train you, no problem, um, and I think I did that for, like, a year and a half, it was, like, into high school, um, definitely, like, a sort of just thrown into it, it was one of those oh, yeah, you know, the old guy is going to show you for, like, you know, a month and a half of services what the deal is. He was there for one. <laughs> and then it was like, all right, kid, have fun. Um, you were in the fire. But, you know, it's, you I mean, fire. great way to learn it. So. It really is. You know, there's a lot to be said for that. Not, not always doesn't feel the most comfortable, but there's there's some learning to be had. And, and you can kind of chart your own path that way, too. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, influences and mentors definitely have their place, but sometimes... There's a lot to be said for cutting your own way and, you know, breaking out the machete and kind of going through there and carving your own path. Hey, you always mention this little uh, console you had that was, like, super basic, just one gain knob with a couple oh, of Oh, yeah, things. that was not for the church, but, like, me and my brothers, like, growing up playing music, had our own little PA, and I want to say it was a Tabco it was like an all tech replica. And it was, it had level, wasn't even, like, separate gain and fader, it was level treble and bass <laughs> and it was like a like inch deep but it like rack mounted and it was all vertical and like oh, from shit. what i'm told like when that was one of the like original mixers there were bands out there that would stack like you know six of them up right and they'd feed into each other but i mean for us as kids it was a great little setup because it was like we could do you know just either music <coughs> through it or like you know it was like you'd throw like kick bass and guitar and a vocal in it and we had these like homemade speaker cabinets that we'd bought off like one of my little brother's guitar teachers or something. And it was just some big 15 and a horn with straight chicken wire as the grill. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, it was great because we were the kids with the PA. So it was like bring it out to whatever party, little shows. And like that was probably the first like first first sound I did was like owning that thing. And, like, yeah. Down the rabbit hole from there. Yeah, no, exactly. It kind of got in your blood got in your bloodstream and yeah yeah i totally understand it's our story is not much different a lot of realistic you know radio shack stuff you cobbled together and <laughs> and you know went out and did it with the punk rock scene in the the garages and backyards of the neighborhood and yeah it went from there i know so this is east coast living no this is texas 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 yeah, yeah just outside san antonio yeah 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 the big state and then i know you moved to norcal and you took an internship at prairie sun recording studio talk to us about that yeah, so I did, uh, I guess it's a three-month program there, and I had gone to school before that, did a, l a little bit of the recording arts and music business, um, and the whole time I was in school, I kept sort of picking up live work, even though I was, you know, looking at the studio stuff for the school, um, and yeah, found, found Prairie Sun through, I don't know, someone else, I think it was just another reference of someone I'd been talking to in California, and it was, you know, there's tons of great studios in the bay area and the thing that sort of drew me there was like they've got two vintage neves they've got the ssl uh, but yeah and you know got to do a little bit of live sound stuff there so it was just another another place i kept finding myself you know diving into the live end but a lot of great experience i mean they have guys like oz fritz up there engineering and just like all sorts of you know bands have come through there over the years i think um i can't it's just yeah 
it's Tom Waits quite, had a huge yeah, tenure right. run there, and there's yeah, yep. no, a lot of interesting. Bay, Primus has done a lot up there over the that's years. Right. So. Vinny, didn't you go out with Eddie Money up there? Uh, we went. Eddie, Eddie Money the was a producer on this, and Eddie and the Tide was the band. It was an Atlantic Records thing. That's right. And you know, at that point, uh, that was where we landed and spent I want to say eight days, nice. and it was uh, it was quite the experience. We busted out a whole album on it, and you know. Um, yeah, I, I have very fond memories of Prairie Yeah, I mean, it's a very unique place, being in the way. old barns yeah, and then, right. like, having the, the option to lodge up there. It's mm -hmm. like, but, you know, it's cool. It's a little little getaway, like, even if you're in the Bay Area. Fully um, off the beaten path, but still close enough to the Bay Area where you could kind of, you know, yeah. after your couple of good recording sessions, you want to go out in nightlife, you get in the car, post everybody into a van and go out and be obnoxious in the city and next totally. morning come back and get back into the recording of a thing. Yeah, it's a special place. I know um, <clears throat> rolling up into the shows, uh, uh, we were trying to have you on a couple times in the past and you had, you were busy, you were out, you, you had been doing some work in kind of the COVID um, a, uh, audio stuff with, in the sense, what I mean by that is you were out at Bradley Ranch, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Bradley um, Ranch and the uh, Alameda Fairgrounds. In, right, um, and it, was uh, this the, the, with the shows with the people in the cars or socially distanced, what was the deal with it? Yeah, so it was like, socially distanced with the cars so what they did is they spaced out the cars and everyone would get a little area sort of around their car so they were free to bring chairs and stuff like that so you could stay in your area and it was nice because we were doing pa and um fm broadcast oh, perfect so yeah. it's like if you had yeah. people that wanted to stay in their car it felt like they were more sensitive or like some of them back in the summer and then a few we've just had recently we've had either extreme heat or extreme like cold and even some rain so it's like Having both, you know, just sort of works out to where it's like they can do the FM, they can do the, the live, but it, it definitely seems to like really hit people differently having that live PA. So. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was struggling to imagine just the FM version of it. Yeah. And then, of course, all the, the cacophony kind of walking through that, imagining the different delay issues and, oh, yeah. and just, yeah, being struggling with it. So I thought that the approach that you guys took at it made a lot of sense. And probably made the experience much more enjoyable for you and for the oh, audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. like, engineering, it would have been a whole other trip. I've talked to a few guys who've been mix mixing only the FM, mm -hmm. and they're not even out in the audience. You know, they're they're yeah. backstage basically mixing in a broadcast-style booth. Right. Which makes sense since it's FM, but it's like you totally get taken out of that element of just the adrenaline of the show. Yeah, so it's kind of missing Very different completely. vibe. Yeah, yeah, and I think we a lot of us live for that part of it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the pay for us, you know, the pay package. So I know you, so I had to research this a little bit. It's actually, it's funny, the day I heard that you were out doing this, I was talking to my good friend, Kyle Thomas, who's a good friend of yours, and and we were talking about you and getting you in here. This must have been a couple months back or more. And it was, and I was, just received the mail. Mm -hmm. It's the oddest coincidence. And we get a bunch of magazines here, you know, right. uh, a lot of trade magazines, and then there the entertainment ones, Rolling Stone and so on. Mm -hmm. And, um... And I'm sorting out the stuff to, to the magazine table that we have where there's all those mags. And we're talking about you. And he says, well, you know, he's doing the baby thing. Mm -hmm. He's out touring with baby. And so I, of course, being me, I kind of made fun of the name of baby <laughs> because I don't, I'm not, you know, up with all this. And yeah. as I'm doing it, I set down the Rolling Stones and baby's on the cover of Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and he went, yeah, you eat your words now buddy you know like <laughs> he's he's a big friggin deal yeah so what was your experience like without uh, doing Sanford the baby it was it was definitely like a huge step up I mean the funny thing going into that is that 
I had a very similar experience as far as getting hired for the gig. It was like, oh yeah, we're gonna fly you out, like yeah. just rapper to baby, whatever. Like I think I looked up one song, was like, cool, whatever, like you know, might be fun. Sure. And get out there and find out he's like one of the biggest things in that scene. Yeah. Um, it. And I mean, you know, it's not a band. It's not not the super hands-on like that. But I mean, dude puts on a killer show. Like understands the good production. And, you know, I've done a decent amount of rap and hip-hop over the years. And, I mean, the thing that's always, you know, made the difference to me in those shows is, like, actually having the vocal. Because, I mean, that's the main element. Mm -hmm. Is like, actually having that vocal sit right there on top and be clear. So it was definitely a very, like, make that vocal pop. And, you know, you got the arenas that are different every time. That's so right. um, it was a good experience, though. I mean, it was a quick run. And it was great to get that in, like, before everything shut down. So Yeah, you were um, right up at the cusp. I mean, you went yeah, right we up to the right wire, right? Till... I think you might have actually went a little bit into the... Because I heard some reports that he might have got rolled up a little bit for doing some He did club some stuff on his own, yeah, after we wrapped yeah, up tour and they were weren't flying production for that. And it's yeah. definitely been interesting. But um you know, we're hoping hoping next year yeah, whenever we'll get back out. Absolutely. Let me ask you, is there any special challenges or um what what is the when you know, mixing somebody like the baby, uh how are you making your mic choices? Um, I mean, I've done, like I said, I've done rap a lot, and I mean, my go-to in the festival scenario and all that has always been the, uh, um, the Beta 58. Mm. Um, you know, you get a little more hype overall, it gets a little better with the cupping, and, yeah. um, and you usually get a little more SPL out of it than you do with, like, a regular 58. Sure. Um, but I've been playing with the, uh, KSM-8, um, Great over the line. last couple of years, and I had that available, and it just sort of seemed like the perfect sort of fit, and it's... I mean, it's really nice because it's like you get the high quality of the nine, but it's a little more contained, a um, little tighter pickup, and it's just it can take stupid SPL to it. It it seems to do really well with the cupping, um, and I mean, surprisingly, the uh, baby isn't horrible with it. Like we had some of these openers, I'd come out and watch the <laughs> the other uh, tech mix it, and it was just like a nightmare Stop watching that. Stop the um, mic! What the. But yeah, yeah, with him and, and his DJ, it was like they just it was made it so much easier just to have them sit right on top. That's great. Um, so yeah. Cool, cool. I know you have a pre preference for. I know you can work. You know the the, the, the Avid product, the the SSL product. Um, but I know you got an affinity for the Digico product. Talk yeah. to me about that. Um, Digico topography it, workflow. What is it's it's really the workflow. I mean, I got. Avid was probably the first like large format desk I was on, but then I quickly got introduced to Digico in the early years at Prairie Sun. Um, and it was just super customizable. And, you know, you get into some of these bigger shows and um, specific situations, either on tour or on festivals, where you need to access certain things a very specific way. And some of these older desks or different manufacturers, it's like, super capable but you're locked into sort of one their way of doing it yeah. and the more and more i've gotten to the digico it's like it really lets me customize for the show i'm on and then just the sound quality um yeah. especially when it came out just is phenomenal i mean i feel like a lot of people have caught up recently mm -hmm. um but for me it's like i know i'm getting a super clean you know very reliable sound and in my experience they have some of the best like development and customer support because what they've put out over the years it's like they listen to the customers yes and 
you know, you can get them Very as far important. as tech support. They're the easiest company I've ever dealt with. So really, um, I mean, my experience is they have two or three guys that handle the U.S. tech support. Yeah, and it's literally their cell phone is what you call. Yeah, them. yeah, not yeah. Sitting, you call sitting on hold for hours, or um, and that was a big part of it. Being able to, I mean, it's a reliable desk, so you're not calling them a ton, but it's like being able to have that, like, oh, you know, hey, this weird thing's happening, and have someone that gets back to you. Even if they don't pick up, you know, these are the guys that'll they'll shoot you a text back. Sure. Which, you know, if you're in it on a show, even a text could be what makes or breaks that whole it, show. It, this is a pretty important differential we're speaking of here, so yeah. I get it. I know uh, with um, with the Avid folks and, you know, that Rhino John is that guy for them. And yeah. he, he tends to jump right to and, and sort problems out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's uh, invaluable. I mean, it's priceless, really, yeah. when you're in, in the heat and to be able to be able to trust on customer support and a thing like that. I want to uh, ask you about around 2012, you know, we mentioned Prairie Sun, but uh, which is a recording studio. That's Mooka over there, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mooka's running that thing. And he stepped out a little bit, and I believe you helped him with this, step out into what is now called Prairie Sun Live. Prairie Sun Live, yeah. Yeah, I talked about it. So talked that was, that. Um, yeah, that was early 2012 we started that. And the studio, like, it's been there since, I think, what, late 70s, early yeah, 80s. Had profile, because at that time, that was, like, the easiest way to do a large-scale multi-track recording. It's a very utilitarian desk. So, it can cover a lot of bases. Yeah. yeah. So for a studio, it kind of made sense. And yeah. at the end of my internship, we had briefly talked about pushing it into, a, like, a full-scale live sound company. Didn't really work out. And then Muka kept researching over the next, because I wrapped my internship up in 2010, so the next year and a half, two years, um, and I guess, yeah, it was maybe a year later, he calls me up and he's like, hey, I just bought this Adamson, you know, PA used from some company in Canada, it's shipping to our buddies in Vegas for a big New Year's show, and then we get it. Wow. He's like, if you want to come out to Vegas, these guys will give us a rundown on it, and then you can come out and run the run the company. Yeah. Came out there, it all seemed legit, and so I think it was like a month later, it would have been like March of 2012, I moved out, and we Started Prairie Sun Live pretty much from the ground up. Uh, and started um, with a nice Adamson rig. I mean, as a boutique oh, company yeah. goes, I, 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 I have not run across bad Adamson yet. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, like, to this day, still one of my favorite PAs. Yeah, um, yeah they do well. You know, definitely some stuff with the rigging and whatnot. You see the age on it, but just mm. the sound quality of it was just like. That's what counts. And, you know, getting to have something like that, even though it was a small one, as, like, a starting regional company. It was just a killer system to. Yeah be able to throw out for some of these little festivals so that's really great Good when did you. you guys get the uh, dmb set up you're oh, rolling yeah. dmb over at prairie sun live yeah that's sweet so that's what we ended up upgrading to so i think we had the adamson for close to two years and then we got into a dnb q rig um and it was just you know that step up to dnb and just the integration of where D and B's workflow is going with the DSP and just everything else. Cause it's like the box to box, like the Adamson was probably the better box, but because of like the age, you're not getting all these DSP options and, you know, massive array tweaking that you get with these newer systems. And the Q is just new enough to give you a little bit of that. And then it just ended up being the price point was killer. Like it was as far as rider friendliness, like sure. being able to throw DNB on a ride, like you know, yeah. on the list, especially being a regional company. So, yeah. I think after we got our first batch, we ended up phasing out the Adamson within like a year and going all DNB Qs. And then within like a year or two of that, we ended up adding a J rig. 
Um, and between those two, it was like you had the nice little compact line array that could do, you know, small and mid size, and then that J rig would take you up to most, you know, most decent sized venues. So. Yeah, no, Killer DMB is a great brand, and they make some great product. And um, yeah, you can't really go too wrong with them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was for the killer, co- killer PA to have, especially like, yeah. like I said, having it for like these little wineries and corporate events, having a, a system that because you know that's more than enough system I oh, would imagine. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. just but having that fidelity because uh, they make even these little stick boxes and stuff, or you can modify it to to handle these smaller setups. And it was like you know when your competition is people out there with little self-powered stuff, it's just like it's yeah. not even competition anymore. That's right. You wipe them right out. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, so I have, I've had a little interaction with this, not personally mixing, but watching uh, engineers at different regional festivals here mm-hmm. deal with the Wu-Tang Clan, which, you know, great act. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they, they're special, they're beloved, but man, do they pose challenges for the engineer. Uh, what was your experience like with the Wu-Tang Clan? Um, it was super throw and go. I think we were in really? Detroit. Um, yeah, no sound check. Um, I don't know if we we might have gotten a couple earlier in the day, but you figure, you know, with however many guys they had come out that day, yeah. like nine or ten of them showed up, that there would have been some sort of like, oh, yeah, we're going to check. They showed up late, and it was, all right, there's ten mics coming on stage live. We don't know who has which one. <laughs> Turn it on. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it's like, luckily, those guys are killer performers, but it was definitely, like, that first song or two was just, like... Working it you out. You know, just really getting it. Because it's... They're not all... Those guys aren't all exactly the same technique, so it's, no. like, you're definitely sitting there, like, getting a ballpark, paste it over, and then fine-tune everyone. But, I mean, it was... I think it was a High Times event in Detroit, and it was... We had 12,000 people there, and they were headlining. So, I mean, it was just a killer show. But yeah. definitely, like... You know, I could see having the sound check and all that for them would definitely be... Would advantageous been, like sure. <laughs> you could just kind of imagine the benefits of that um you know i'm a i, I was a, I, I did a show recently where i somewhat found myself bad mouthing and we're going to talk about that beautiful animal in a minute um uh some of the schools that are, that are out there nowadays mm-hmm. and i i think maybe i could be a little harsh on that and i gotta check my own opinions on it you know it's good once in a while to, to reflect and and uh, self-analyze and make sure you're not being too big of a dick and i know that you personally went to the college of recording arts and my question to you regarding that is can you tell us if there's an advantage to going to something like the college of recording arts and acquiring a music degree from them has it helped you in your career or maybe not is it tell tell us what do you think you know what I, the benefits of something like that i definitely think it's like unique to each person um because like for me it's i definitely grew up playing music mm-hmm. but it was in a very small rural town in texas and i didn't really have a lot of connections to the industry as far as something that would really put me in it so for me it was a really good sort of first step to get a better you know, just idea of what going into the industry would be. Um, But, I mean, I worked live events and, like, little production gigs the whole time I was there. So I felt like, for me, I got a really good mix of, like, here's the real-world version of it, and here's your classroom stuff, and you can kind of, you know, integrate it right away, whereas I think a lot of people go through it, and they don't necessarily have that opportunity to see the real-world application right away. And you get a lot of people that get the book smarts, and it's, I mean, we all know it's like, I mean, it goes back to like, you know, the whole just being thrown into it. It's like, 
you really cut your teeth on like actually doing it. So I, I don't regret going to school. I don't feel like it was a waste. But at this point, I mean, I would say that, you know, 80, 90 percent of my career is based off what I actually did after it. Like it was a yeah. great So maybe like a primer, yeah. a little bit of a primer for what you did, but yeah. what, really the learning. And I think that's my tends to be my point is is really had in the field. Yeah. In the shop, in the field, in the preps, in the restores, in the show, in the doing. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think I was lucky enough to have, you know, instructors and people around me when I was there that definitely pushed, like, this is just a learning tool. You're going to have to get out there and prove yourself and really learn it. So I didn't come out of there like, oh, I have a degree. Like, you know, hand me some high-end gig. Yeah. And I think that's where, because I've definitely, like, especially being at a studio for a while and watching interns come through... It's like you definitely, there is a, a different generation that's coming out of these schools. And some of them do have this, like, hotshot attitude, and it's it's yeah. interesting. So I I think it's tough because it's, it's unique to each person. So, sure. But, I mean, I would say, like, especially looking at what I did, like, I would tell people, see what you can do, like, based on people you know. Like, do it through a venue or something. Because, I mean, the toughest part with those schools is how expensive they are. They are not cheap. You know, I spent good portion of the last 10 years like <laughs> throwing money back into those debts so it's like right um but i think for like i said for some people there's not a there's not really an option for them to get into the industry any other way so it's like if you got the money it's like you know just know that that's just kind of your intro it's not maybe it's, it's a not case like by a, case you know yeah. like you said you know some of us have uh, came up a different way where it was a hands-on Right from the gate, yeah. you kind of just stayed behind at the shows and started helping push cases, you know. Mm. That networking part is huge with school. It really is, I, and I've seen that, and I've seen the benefit. I've seen some benefits of it. I think where I get discouraged is the part where he mentioned is about the larger debt that's incurred, and then sometimes the the false sense. There's almost, in some cases, and in this case by case, a sense of uh, okay, I got this. I'm here now. I'm in a building. Somebody can hand me a board and put me on it, you know, up right. front. And and it's like, well, go grab the L21 and you fix me this NL8 first. And they're like, what, what is that? And where does that live? And, right. and and then I just, everything in me is just shattered. And I feel like I had to pick you up from the ground and take yeah. you through the, the process to where, before I'm ever going to put you out front of anything on a board. Yeah. And so it's, I, I think I've come up by this this emotion, this feeling, this experience with these things. And then I, I'm concerned about the accruing these debts when you could be here working here with us, getting paid to mm -hmm. learn from some of the best to within within a similar period of time that you would be in school, you would be in the field. Yeah. And be, but being paid that whole time. So there's this for me, it's a, it's a, I struggle with it a little bit. But oh, at the yeah. same time, we have had some guys, a tricky one for me. Anyways, I think there's I think your point is well taken and that it's a case by case thing. Yeah. And there's there's many different ways to skin a cat, I guess, is really the, yeah. the bottom line. Um, I mentioned the dog. Your your beautiful, sweet, sweet dog, Dan. It's Danzo. Danzo, yeah. Danzo, the, the, this, he is our, I believe, I want to say our sixth um, canine visitor on the show, and I like that very much. I am not much of a pet person myself, but but they, they bring something special. And Danzo, of all of them, we've had a couple real neurotic, uh, bouncy, trouncy, <laughs> um, uh, 
different versions of animals on the show. Mm -hmm. Danzo has some kind of a deep, very white cool going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like he's trained up. This is a real show dog. This is the guy that sits under the front of house when you're pushing out 110 out of the, you know, he's a, he's a good wiggly butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you love him. I had to. I just say, can we please just mic everybody up? You were loving on him, and I oh, know man, you got to keep him around. That's the only way Trev ever gets females in his <laughs> yeah. life. This oh, my <laughs> my wife is going to say you're being mean. <laughs> so he's, he's sorry, sorry We're just playing. We're just playing. Um, no, he's got it. He does well, I'm sure, by himself. Danzo has an interesting backstory, though. Um, we were God. This was last yearish, sometime not that not that long ago. Danza turns up missing, yeah. and it became a federal project. Talk to us about that, because that was a really involved thing. That was that kind of sucked. Yeah, that was a it was a rough two weeks. That was back in June. Yeah, um, yeah I was out. I think some of the uh, state parks and stuff had just opened again, and so I was. I guess it was a national forest, so it was outside of uh, Bakersfield in uh, Sequoia National Forest. And uh, yeah, we'd been out there like a day or so, and he was out there sort of wandering around and had him in places like that before and he's yeah. you know been real good about like you know he'll go on his little adventure and some buddies up north you know in california they'll he'll wander out for an hour and then still make it back to the cabin so you know wasn't that worried about him and he just didn't come back wow um two weeks you say ended up being two weeks oh my God. that he was gone um had a lot of really good help kyle actually came out with his girlfriend and helped us out for three or four days, um, and then another one of our buddies came back after that, and yeah, I mean, it was You it did was the flyers the and the whole bit, I hear. Flyers, I mean, at one point, we had the I director. saw you had a bunch of stuff on Facebook. Yeah, we were posting everywhere, and I mean, the local community out there was, like, just unbelievably just understanding, super helpful, like, all sorts of stories about, like, other dogs that had been lost for weeks. I think there was one even, they said, I don't think it was out, in sequoia but it was like a friend of theirs had lost a dog for two months wow and it ended up being like found in a cave or something and it had been like killing deer and surviving oh, like, amazing so it was like definitely like a lot of positive vibes that helped like just you know helped us make it through but yeah the the night before he got found um he knows you're telling his story we were um we were supposed to go down to the uh oh buddy <laughs> um we were supposed to go down to the local airport because the, uh, the director of the airport had actually seen one of our flyers, and they wanted to take us up in a plane wow. to try and fly over that section of the mountain. But, yeah, tons of support, and he ended up just wandering in front of, like, two guys' cars, like, late one night. It was, like, the 13th day he was out there, and he happened to have his collar hadn't fallen off, and my number was on there, and these guys had a satellite phone, so they were able to hit us up. And mm -hmm. next morning, we booked it up the mountain and got him back, and he was... Little beat up. He'd lost like 10, 15 pounds, but yeah, you know, didn't seem to really affect him too much. He's back to his old mellow self. So yeah, he seems like he's and doing I mean, great. Like you said, like he's uh, he's been the uh, show dog pretty much since he was about three months old. So yeah, I've heard nothing like, but good stories about him on the shows, and 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 then and, and seeing him in the shop here, and he's just so well behaved and such a sweetheart, and that's that's a nice thing to see. And we're grateful that that all worked out so well for you because he's uh, I know he's an important part of your life. He's coming over to say hi to you. He's just, he's just trying to say hi, see what's up, you know, right. checking in. Right. So let's talk about you mixing for <laughs> Cypress Hill. How did you, well, first of all, my question, I've worked with Cypress Hill on multiple occasions, festival situations, mm -hmm. and um, how did you mix them through the smoke? I mean, how did you see them 
through all the, the marijuana smoke. Bit. That was a tough one, especially because the show we did was a 420 show. And I want to say they played at 420 on 420. That makes sense. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was another sort of just, like, chaotic festival sort of situation. But um, just, you know, a lot of fun, super pro guys. Um, yeah. You know, those guys definitely make it easy. I've had a few little, like, sit-ins at some of the other festivals, like, working with them when they've been traveling with their guys. But, um, you know, just super high energy and... Um, you know, I think we've talked about this before. It's like they're just a little more unique having that whole percussion set up up there. It's yeah, a, it's nice. a, you know, yeah. little different than your typical, you know, rap and hip hop set. That's right. Um, and it's just people just love them. Like, especially, I don't know, I don't think you were there that year when they played at Cali Roots, but it's just like, you know, even just a bunch of reggae fans, it's like whatever it is. Like, it's like everyone knows the whole the whole set. And it's like they're, they're total professionals. Be real, and the boys they they bring it hard. There's a melodic quality to it. Oh yeah, it's a kind of got of this weird crossover. You know, uh, the the old the OGs can get down with it and feel mm -hmm. it in their heart. The white kids can be totally up with it. Like you said, the reggae. Yeah. You know, it, they 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 operate in a very special lane that they've honed and they own outright. It's their lane. Mm -hmm. And then of course they are. The number one mascots and representatives of the marijuana culture. Oh yeah, and uh, and they and they bring it and yeah. So I always had fun working with them, and I can imagine that had to be a good time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you worked for the somewhat legendary Spider Ranch Productions. Yeah, uh, tell us about that experience. Yeah, that's actually who I've been doing a handful of these drive-in shows with. And yeah, keeping me afloat this year. Um, and they were actually the PA provider for the the uh, baby run. Mm. Um, but yeah, I first, met them. Hmm? Was that kind of his first big? I think that yeah, that was their first like really big like yeah. tour of that level. I know they've done some like West Coast runs and stuff like sure. that. Um, but yeah, I think I met them very like soon after moving out to help start Prairie Sun Live, just through you know another engineer buddy or something. So I'd freelanced off and on for them, and that's actually where I met Kyle originally, which was what. Three years ago, I think now. Something like maybe that. Maybe four. Yeah. Um, so, you guys, it's only been that long. I mean, I kind of think of you guys like brothers almost, the way you <laughs> interact and talk about I mean, each other. We're yeah. good friends. With the though. hours we put in on everything. We, yeah. We've we uh, count spend, for more. spend too much time together, it seems like. <laughs> um, we know too much. No, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, another killer, you know, regional company. They had been Bay Area for a long time and yeah. then just recently uh, relocated to the Sacramento area. Yeah, but um, unusual jump. But I don't, I don't know why. To me, that seemed yeah. like an unusual jump. But I guess it made sense for their business model. Working for them, so yeah, right. Um, Good for them. But yeah, you know, just like I said, another another killer regional company I've got to work for, and a lot of really cool, interesting gigs. Um, they had a lot of the high time stuff. And, That's right. Um, high times. We got to do Punk and Drublick. Um, yeah. And some interesting travel, like Kyle got to go up as well. We went to Alaska one year for a High Times event. Um, so yeah, really cool stuff. A lot of festival work. So Which part of know. Alaska did you guys go to? Wasilla. Wasilla, yeah. You went to the heart of the beast. You went up to the, that would be Sarah Palin's uh, neighborhood. Wow. Mm -hmm. How was that? It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful country. I mean, It was amazing. Yeah. I, unfortunately, was only able to be there for, like, the show days. Kyle got lucky and was part of the crew that was up there for about a week, I think. And they got to see some pretty amazing stuff. It was like ice some caves. Ice caves. Oh, wow. Fucking ice caves. Did you run into any moose? 
No moose. Oh man, no we were, yeah, there was like a surprising like, lack of animals, right? right? That was like the one thing where like you guys yeah, had to go to a animal. You guys had to go to a moose farm or something yeah. like that. We went to a yeah reindeer farm. <laughs> that was the only right time we saw those an are animal. impressive animals as well. Some of those can get They're pretty kind of creepy. Yeah, Shed you wouldn't want to tangle with them. And moose will put you in your grave, but they're they're <laughs> at a safe distance. They're quite a spectacle. It's yeah. quite something to see. With giant. That's funny you bring that up. I got that picture of uh, one of our buddies, Michael Rabello, uh-huh. uh, kissing this this moose. That's right. How <laughs> <laughs> the hell did he pull that off? Yeah, was it I a mountain moose? Oh, oh no, it's this real. Is a live moose. He's making out with a real moose. That's impressive. I got. It just talk, came up on my phone. We get Michael on the show and talk <laughs> about that for an hour. You know, yeah, right. that'd be, be an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> Now, I know you just mentioned you've done some travel mm-hmm. in your work, which is my favorite. When I was in the heart of the work, really out there putting it out, I love the travel. Oh, yeah. Even with the, some of the challenges that go with it. Mm-hmm. But the travel makes it, it's an added, um, it's a thing, you know, a lot of, I think, uh, I've always thought that uh, reading is, combats, uh, you know, fascism and travel con- combats racism. Mm-hmm. It's a, when you get to see other peoples and other ways of doing things. Um, these guys weren't like full blown island time, but it definitely wasn't like, you know, step to it, you know, yeah. right on the dot productions. But, um, you know, going into it, it was it's like another sort of friend of a friend thing it was like, hey, there's this festival over here. You should hit these guys up because I've been, I think, like three or four years now going over there just for vacation. I've got some friends that live there full time. Um so made this connection. They're like, yeah, we actually do need someone to take over front of house. And I think I got the, I think I was told what board I was mixing on. And that was like about as big an advance I got, like before hopping on the plane. <laughs> it was like, yeah, we're paying for your flight, you know, all your lodging. And, you know, here's your pay for the, the show itself. And, but it was like, you know, sure, I'll come back to Bali for another two weeks. Like, Hell yeah. Um, and it, overall, I was actually really impressed with like the overall pr- the production. Um started on a Allen and Heath uh, D-Live S7000. It's very serviceable um, board. Which, overall, I was I was quite surprised for yeah. that location. Yeah. Um, and then ended up having to move to a Midas Pro 2 due to uh, the Allen and Heath not being able to handle the he, uh, rainforest humidity. There's humidity <laughs> issues on islands, and there's electricity issues on yes. islands. <laughs> That's the electricity, always the things you're dealing with. I don't know what was happening with it. Yeah. I don't know that we had any issues, but when I saw the what I assume was the distro, <laughs> it was a little scary. Like I was like, if you guys say this works and my stuff works, I'm not even going to ask because this does not look like it would yeah. fly anywhere Full else. Full fire but, hazard in, in yeah. effect. <laughs> It's, um, it's part of it, man. That is, that is part. You should see it uh, South America, Central and South America. Oh yeah, man. The shit they get away with it's it's um, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And 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 these are not small shows. You know, some of these these yeah. uh, South American, Central American shows you do in these soccer stadiums, and you look at the power setups, and you look the way they've got their their shit uh, you know tied off, and and this is this is from flying the speakers to the to oh, stacking yeah. the stubs. I mean, like it's it's some like somebody's gonna die thing yeah. you know and and somehow you do the thing and everybody goes home safe right. and it's like it's kind of like okay they must know something i don't know maybe we're just overly uh, uh you know cautious in our yeah. and they, uh, they save some money on the degrade bolts they they do <laughs> There's there would, there's corners that get cut, let's say, <laughs> compared to the way that we've been trained to be yeah. mindful in approaching, uh, uh, interacting with the public with high voltage and heavy, heavy weight. Yeah. You know, 
Uh, but that's that's the thing. You know, I found it interesting that you've you've worked with and mixed Randy Newman. And, you know, really a guy that's got this incredible. First of all, he's an amazing writer yeah. and an incredible pianist. And he's been in the game as long as I can remember, before me, and probably will be after. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what was it like working with Randy Newman? It was super cool. I mean, I didn't, you know, obviously knew that dude was super legendary, but didn't quite know what to expect. Yeah. Um, he is, he's up there now. Like, yeah, it's he's like, you see man. him, you see him come out for the sound check and everything. And it's like, dude, you're up there. And then as soon as he starts playing, it's just like, could be 20 years ago. Yeah. He I just still that. rips. Yeah. Total but, consummate professional. You know, just super solid set. He goes, um, the interesting thing I found is, you know, it was, he comes in for what? 10 minute sound check or something you know it's him and a piano nothing too crazy sure but um you know i think he had a super particular like mics you know that he wanted on the piano and his vocal and all that and i'm sitting there like all right this guy's old he probably needs it loud like so i get like his vocal and the piano just like ripping in his wedges yeah and he comes up and he's like i got the piano right here i don't need to hear that so it's like kill it uh -uh. and he just wants his vocals here and he just uses the straight piano for the which is you know it's great to see guys that'll actually like <laughs> Well, it sounds like, like he's dude, taking care of his ears. Right here, yeah. uh, his hearing is um, still intact. But yeah, you know, super, super killer set. Um, all the classics. I want to say he may have accidentally played two song or one song twice. Possible. At one point. <laughs> like, I was sitting happen. out there in front of house, and I was like, I'm pretty sure we just heard this like two songs ago. And I was like, I don't know if he just like does it as like a reprise or if he just like forgot his set list and played it again. They could have been half a dozen, oh, one and six. I mean, at that point, it's like, you can do whatever you want. Like He's like, Randy Newman. It, you know what I mean? Like, no, no one's going to complain about hearing the song I twice. I don't like, think so, yeah. And I mean, he's just got a, his, his catalog is just chock full of hits. And, yeah. You know, uh, uh, like moments in time, really. You know, mm -hmm. I remember him early, must have been 75-ish as a young man. Mm -hmm. And uh, his, his song, Short People, yeah. we, we just... We just got the biggest kick out of that at the time, you know. It was a very novelty kind of thing. Yeah. Then he went on to do all the the, the writing for stuff like Toy Story mm -hmm. and all these other things. And he's just uh, he's just that guy, you know. He's pro yeah. he's prolific and he's still around. And the respect just has to go out to that. You know? Yeah. Um, mixing uh, for bands like Randy Newman or Arrested Development or the the true OG that is E40. Mm -hmm. uh, I was curious, uh, what's the difference, if any? from mixing rap versus rock and roll is there, I mean, an, is there an approach difference that you take with it when you come to it i mean a little bit like what i touched on earlier with like the baby stuff it's it's very for most of the rap you know it's you're dealing with tracks or minimal instrumentation like even with cypress hill like it's tracks and a percussion setup so it's you're definitely making sure that vocal you know pops up over the top um and then i mean i would say after touring with the baby one of the big things i found is um, even if it is a simpler setup, it, there's a lot that goes into dialing the system for the room because it's like, yeah, it might be super simple stuff coming off the board where the show's easy, but it's like if you don't have that rig dialed, um, and I mean, it's again, it's getting clarity, and obviously they want to hear hear and feel that low end punch. That's right. Um, but and then you know the bands, it's like you're dealing with who knows how many inputs these days. I mean, it could be. 48, I feel like it's starting to turn into a, a small input list yeah. for some of these big bands. Yeah. And you could be in triple digits these days. That's so right. it's just, um, and I mean, that goes back to like the, you know, the ease of some of these consoles now and the customization is it, it makes 120 tracks a very reasonable 
you know, thing to deal with now. Um, Doable. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, it, it makes a lot more sense. You can kind of get a better grasp, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'd say track count is one of the biggest things and, um, you know, it's not necessarily just the, the rap, but you know, a handful of these genres, it's, you're able to push that low end on a whole other level. Whereas like, you know, you're doing rock or a full band. It's like, yeah, you want that punch, but can't be overwhelmed by that. You know, you got yeah. other instruments that are sitting in there. That's correct. Um, and I mean, I'd say one of the more interesting things with the mixing the bands over the years is really seeing, you know, what bands understand the way that they sit in the mix and they shape their tone based on that. They, or the guys that just go up and turn up and go for it and you're the one carving out space. Right. Um, cause well, it's like discussed even, it a lot, just having like going up on stage and listening to how the drum kit sounds before you start tweaking. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like just one of the, with any of it, you know, the, the drum, drum kit, the guitar rig, whatever. It's like, you know, you get such a jump by hearing like, what does it actually sound like? Cause you could be up there like, you know, assuming it sounds like this and that's why the mic sounds like this now and trying to make it sound a certain way, and you go up there and you're like, oh, like this guy's drum kit's not in tune, or yeah, you're fighting whatever it. it might be, and it's like you could just go up and change the mic or move the mic, and you know have a whole different ball game. Mic placement is so critically important. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that is in many ways the ball game. I mean, some of the best guys easy. I've watched, and I mean, you've been there for a Thievery Corporation. Oh, a few um, times, yeah. That guy, it's you know, it's none of the bullshit of. Like, oh, we're using all these mics because we're endorsed. Like, he has completely different mics on one guitar rig versus the other. Like, and it's, but then you go look at his show file and it's like maybe one notch filter and a little bit of high pass and low pass action. And like, that's it. Like, Simplicity he's not, itself. and it's like, it's because he goes through and actually like picks right. his mics correctly. Sure. And he just gets this killer sound. So, um, yeah, the, uh, was it Arrested Development? That was another one that was with Kyle. And I think that was on the Alaska run. And that was probably, I would say the tough thing with the bands is the the fact that you're dealing with uh, stuff that you don't have control of the level directly. Yeah, sure. Whereas like rap, it's like, okay, yeah, you're going to have the monitor wedges, but that's only going to get so loud and you're kind of getting the back end of that. So it's like, but all of a sudden you get three or four guitar rigs, you uh, know, some dual SVTs or something up there and a yeah, drummer. And yeah. I mean, Trying that one that. we did was in a tent. You know, 110 dB the... uh, in a tarped roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly one of the loudest stage volumes I think either one of us have been on. <laughs> wow. I, th I think, you, yeah, that's low-key, like, good vibe festival. And they, they, you know, it's traditionally kind of a reggae festival, and it started with some of the newer sort of pop and Cali reggae stuff. But at this point, they, they do a pretty diverse lineup. Um, you know, we've had Barrington Levy out there. Um uh steel poles i don't think we ever had toots out there but you know they, they they go all the way from the old school guys to, you know these bands that are popping up you know reggae bands that are popping up in you know missouri and stuff like that so they really try to get it all in and then recently we've even been getting into like some of the rap stuff and like we had e40 we've had atmosphere no, um, but yeah super chill festival they keep it like it's a pretty reasonable size like 12,000 people a day or something like that um cause monterey fairgrounds which that in itself is really cool because just super legendary fairgrounds to be at um it's the place where festivals started they yeah say. i mean there's there's totally a vibe there just right. with with all the history so yeah you can still see well it may be covered by now but i remember in our days uh, 
doing shows there, which we've done quite a few. Um, you could see the burn mark where Jimmy did his guitar trick. and At least the first few years we were there, that was still there. Yeah, so. yeah. And it, it just, uh, you know, knowing that The Who played their first American show there yeah. and, and the, the famous Ozus Redding set. And mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just one of those places, kind of like the Warfield, where just the building just has so much yeah. stored up tradition and history in it that can't help but kind of mm-hmm. pick that up and, and want to do it justice. I know you've, you mentioned earlier you have done a, a batch of the Emerald Cups. Those provide, uh, you know, they're fun. The, the idea with it, obviously, is a, is a little different than kind of doing a BFD-type festival. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're dealing with the stoners, and, and there's a lot of weed in the mix, and the music is... Uh, talk to us about your impression of doing, and, and is that an enjoyable event for you? It's definitely enjoyable. It's, it's probably one of the more intricate events I did. Um, and it, I think we did, I want to say six years of it, maybe seven. Yeah. Um, and that one had originally been like super small, you know, hippie festival way up north in the Emerald Triangle. Right. And I think they would, you know, bring out little stick systems and local bands would come out. And so we took over when they like went to like, you know, the big boy route and started doing it at the uh, fairgrounds in Santa Rosa. Right. Um, and I want to say we brought in like, Revolution, J-Boog, Steel Pulse. Like, wow. they brought in some pretty big um, reggae acts that first year. But it went from being something with maybe 1,200 people to I think they were pushing three to 4,000 that first year. Um, and, yeah, like you said, it's v- super interesting, especially the early years, just because of you have just the stoner culture putting on what is, like, a huge event. And so yeah. there was definitely some, you know some learning and stumbling and sort of getting like the pro level on. Right. Um, and eventually they ended up getting like merging with a larger production company. I want to say it was red light management bought into the, uh, part of the festival and they brought on some killer production crews to sort of facilitate from the East coast. Yeah. And once we got to that level, it was just super pro. I mean, it's another one I got to do with Kyle this last year. And I mean, as far as the setup we had to do, I think it was it was two band stages, a DJ setup, and then there was one, something like four um, playback areas where they could either have just ambient music or if it was near one of the stages, they'd want to hear whatever was on that stage in sure. that vendor area or lounge area. And then sometimes, like, if, like, Kyle's stage was on, but my stage was on a changeover. They'd want his stage to be the changeover music on my stage. Oh, wow. So it turned into this, and, like, half of it was decisions the festival guys made, like, the uh, week of on setup. On the fly, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, it's we'd done this fun. one enough that we knew <laughs> stuff like that would happen, so we, right. for the most part, had the resources we needed, but, geez, I don't know if I've ever run so much Cat5 and XLR. <laughs> like, it was a combination of Cat5, XLR, and FM broadcasts. Man. To cover this whole festival grounds. And I mean, I think they had the guy who does the uh, Voice of God for Coachella's out there doing like Voice of God for that. So right. it's like we had to have the whole like let him take over the whole system button. Of course, and of it course. was just, you know, it, quite the setup, but building that on the fly was just like, like a labor intensive. Huh? Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, luckily, you know, they, they provide plenty of hands and stuff, but it's definitely one of those. Like you said, there's a bit of that stoner, like, well, what if? The approach. Like, is a little... 
I just had a brilliant idea. <laughs> but it sounds like you, 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 you know, you stepped up to the challenge and kicked its ass. I mean, yeah, I love getting, you know, shows like that, especially like at this point doing it, you know, for, for roughly over like a decade now. It's like anything like that. It's just, you know, it's a little, little crazy, but it's always fun to just have a new challenge and then get to like walk away having like crushed it. So. Gotcha. Got I will you. say one of my favorite stoner moments from that show was totally when we were bringing the PA down in the barn, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy's looking at it, he's staring at it like this, with his arms crossed. He goes, so how, how is that thing rigged there? And he sees the two pieces of tie line coming out, and he goes, so is all the weight on the tie line? And I just, I look at my patch dude, and I was like, no, man, we didn't bring the load-bearing tie line today. <laughs> you just hear half the room start dying. <laughs> load-bearing tie line. I'm sorry, that's very funny to me. Um, made out of hemp. Yeah, He's well, that stuff's very strong. Very strong, and then you can smoke it when you're done with the show. And right. so there's that. Um, real quickly, talk to us about working with the uh, Punk and Drubbling. Super, super fun show. Yeah. Um, I think I did two years of that, and that was actually the show I believe Kyle and I met on. Yeah, um, I think so. But, uh, you know, a bunch of old school punk rockers. Uh, yeah. You know, that's No Effects' festival. Yeah, and, uh, we've done it. First year we did it, I think, was when uh, they had the first really bad fires at Santa Rosa. Um, so that was an interesting one to work around that. I think we actually got out of doing, like, a back-to-back, something like wrap at 2 a.m., load in the next show at 6 a.m. type of thing. So that was <laughs> the one advantage of uh, the delay. But, um, you know, I, I, the thing that surprised me the most, because, I mean, that's a lot of the music I grew up on is... Right. is that era of punk um was you don't necessarily associate like high-end production with a, that type of music yeah and like for the most part it was like super pro production That's like right. most of the bands actually had engineers mm-hmm. um i think the thing that like blew me away the most was um what was it flogging molly had something like three different makes of wedges on stage okay. like one dude needed dnb wedges another you know section of the band wanted L acoustic and someone else wanted my it was like I'd never seen and they were carrying all of it like oh, shit. it was just like Impressive. but I mean they killed it like super you know yeah great show but yeah it was you know that that's another one where it's cool seeing like just the age range that comes out to those because you have old school guys that came up on the punk even before you know no effects and bad religion all the way to like you know there's like twelve-year-old kids out there. Yeah, like, it's, it's it's the whole gamut of uh, humanity. It's you know the it's nothing one. like doing a show and having Fat Mike come out, stand next to you, doing monitors uh, and address. I tell you, Fat Mike's heavy cat. <laughs> so so this year you went from. Let me just sum this up. We get a wrap here. This year you went from an arena tour to the pandemic shutdown to mixing and learning from the house to drive-in shows. Ooh. With and and with your your time in the job and in the game, where do you think the industry's heading? I mean, it's hard to say at this point. I think we'd all we're all hoping it's going to be back um, sooner. Um, I'm I'm thinking that right now that everyone's got a good grasp on some of these streaming options, like what you guys are doing here. A lot of the drive-ins have been tweaked to the point where. They have like a rough idea of like, hey, we can do this safely. We can do it in a budget that kind of works. And so I think we're going to hopefully when we get out of the winter and everything, it'll be, you know, we'll come into 
I think it's going to be more drive-ins and streaming is what we're coming back to early next year. But, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw it. I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago now, Live Nation put out that article saying, like, we yeah. expect to be doing full-fledged shows by summer, which is, like, yeah, I think we'd all love to do that. But it's, like, it's just there's a lot at play right now. So, I mean, yeah. I think one of the biggest things is knowing that it's, it's probably going to be really different for a while, and it's, like, adapting to that change and kind of knowing like probably won't be like this forever but it's like we got to just you know figure it out and go with the flow for what's going to pay the bills for now and know thanksgiving and thank you very much yeah, for bringing Dan, danzo out and yourself much love brother yeah thanks guys you thanks, bet man. brother hey a quick shout out to go over to eaw users group it's a great page on facebook it's it's super fun and if you uh haven't uh, checked it out yet please check out the guys over at signal to noise podcast kyle michael and chris over there putting on good shows they've got a hell of a collection of some very interesting guests you might want to check in on them i'd like to send some love to sweet treatments and the great jackie carsetti for a bunch of work she's done for us recently and that we've done together over the many years she's a wonderful woman steve orgain from chef's touch uh he fed us lunch today. He's the sweetest guy in the business and is the caterer to the stars. Please send a, 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 a check them out if you ever need that Such type of a a service. Isn't he the greatest guy? Love that I guy. love that guy. And then uh, our good, good friends over at Loving Hands for Stage Hands. They're, they're providing a hell of a service to people that uh, in our industry that uh, maybe are struggling with the times that we find ourselves in. You might want to go over there and check them out. They've got good vibes. There's good people, like-minded thinking that might uh, have some advice for you or a place you can uh, express yourself. And uh, one last thing, the Big Love Army, which is Lauren Monroe and Rick Allen's page. It's a, it's a great page for positive thinking and, and sweet thoughts. You might want to check into that. We appreciate you very much. You guys are amazing. Uh, thanks for tuning in on this special day. We wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. And we hope to see you again next week, Thursday at 7 p.m. with a new guest. We'll You'll see when we see. See you then. Thank you so much for tuning in. Good night.